Hi, my name is Frankie. Thank you for listening to my mom. I never listen. What a way to bring in the new year with our first episode of 2022 of Nothing But Net with Debbie Antonelli. We have Brenda Freeze, head coach of Maryland Women's Basketball. It, just so many topics are covered in this in this episode. Uh, we have the foundation and the family that she's built in her 20 years as the head coach at Maryland, starting with what she learned from her parents, Bill and Donna. Um, just the village that she has with her coaching staff, her players, their families, um, the adversity and what she's learned through all the years with the Terrapins, uh, the defining moments that make or break each season, navigating through this year a very tough non-conference schedule. Um, Debbie questions Coach Freeze about the fact that she's been a proponent that saying that Maryland could be the first women's team to average 100 points on the season. We get to hear what Coach Breeze thinks about that. Uh, they open up Big Ten play with Indiana, which is another top 10 team. Uh, you hear some more about that. You hear about all of this and so much more on Nothing But Net with Debbie Antonelli. Well, uh, this is always a special treat for me because I have known Brenda Freeze for a long time, uh, and uh, we don't even want to talk about how many decades we've been friends and, and uh, colleagues inside the game, but we are friends, and I don't mind saying that because we have been through a lot together as moms and as wives and, you know, watching our careers to grow and develop. So, you know, Brenda, what I want to start with, first of all, is um, I know how important family is to you, and I know what Mark and the boys mean to you. So, you know, I, I wanna start there because uh, I think that's an important part of the, the foundation and the culture of what you've built at Maryland. Yeah, um, it really is. And thanks for having me, Debbie. And, you know, it's always uh, great, uh, you know, joining you and, you know, we have, uh, you know, as we've come up through the game and uh, we've been in it a long time and uh, have been through a lot, but, you know, I mean, obviously it's, it starts with my, my parents, uh, you know, to, to have six children, um, for me, five other siblings and, um, you know, just how much of a priority it was that, uh, you know, for them, you know, growing up, it was all about their kids and, um, they instilled, you know, us being able to have each other's backs and through the good times. And even when we get on each other's nerves, um, we're going to be there and um, to kind of watch it go full circle. You know, this was the first Christmas I've been home uh, in 14 years uh, with my dad having some health issues uh, this past Christmas. And then um, my sister came home as well. Everyone was there. And um, you know, a lot of people talk about it, you know, being the family, but you know, we live it and we live it not only with who we are, but, you know, then it extends to, to our program. You know, I wouldn't be able to do this job in this career without the village uh, that I have with my staff, my support staff and, uh, and, our, and our players and their families. So um, it's definitely something that's really, really important in our culture. It's really important to me. I wouldn't want to be in this job if it didn't um, have to do with us, you know, really looking out for each other. I want to talk about your your mom and dad, um, Bill and Donna, because Bill's getting ready to turn 90. And I, and I know he's had some health issues and, and everyone in women's basketball is aware because we've all done such a good job of 
I think supporting you and, and sharing your message about your dad's fight with cancer and how your mom has been an incredible caregiver. But, um, you know, he's going to be 90 on January 22nd. I have that written on my calendar because I can't wait to call or write or Zoom or something at around that time with your mom and dad. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm going to be there. You know, we play Northwestern the very next day uh, back here in Maryland on January 23rd. But um, God willing, if he's still here, I'm going to be there for his 90th. And, you know, we, we had a great moment when I left um, at Christmas and I told him I'd be back for his 90th. And um, he lit up and, and uh, you know, left me a note, uh, you know, that he'll, he'll still be here in 27 days. Um, so, you know, definitely, you know, it's something that, you know, we just continue every, every day is a blessing. It's a, a tremendous gift to be able to have the time that we had at Christmas. Um, but it, it's impressive to be able to see just the, the will to live uh, for your family. When you've had as much success as you've had at Maryland, uh, you know, it seems like the national championship just happened yesterday, but it was in 2006 and you have been to many multiple final fours and you have another final four caliber team. Uh, what I want to ask you before we launch into this year's team is no one gets to the point in their career that someone like you is at without facing some adversity. And there has been adversity along the way. Most great leaders have overcome something to be able to achieve what they can achieve. And bringing a team along with you requires a lot of energy and effort, but it requires incredible leadership. So where along your path do you think you faced some sort of adversity that you know has boosted you to this point in your career? Oh, I mean, I always say like every season, there's a defining moment um, within your season that you can go back and recall um, what changed your path. And I think the thing I've probably have learned the most, I mean, obviously these last couple of years, you know, um, you know, we've gone through COVID like everybody else, you know, that, that has been an adjustment. We've gone through with transfer portal, like everybody else, and you've had to adapt and, and adjust. And, I think the biggest thing I learned from those lessons as a leader is you're going to be okay. You know, trust, you know, your leadership, trust your confidence. Um, you know, you know, going, it's hard for me to believe this is, you know, year 20 at Maryland. So it's the foundation's been built. So it's just continuing to trust your instincts that regardless of different things that get thrown your way this year, we've been hit with a lot of adversity with, the injury of Diamond Miller and, you know, adversity through COVID and uh, more so this year than we did last year. And it's just understanding, okay, this year isn't going to be as smooth as it was a year ago. You know, it's just going to take a little bit longer and just trusting that process that will be there in the end. So you play probably the toughest non-conference schedule you've ever faced and you weren't hundred percent in the non-conference, but as we get into conference play, you're starting to get more healthy and, and mainly getting diamond back. Now we know diamond is a huge piece of what you like to do because she's one of the best two-way players in the country. How does um, getting her back into form help your team right now? Because we're on the cusp of you getting ready to play on the road at Indiana. Yeah, um, with, without a doubt. I mean, um, the timing probably couldn't have been any better when you talk about her return now, although it's been, you know, hard and long, you know, I didn't anticipate putting a schedule together like this without her. 
Um, you see the impact as, as soon as you're in one of our practices because of the fact that she can, um, you know, she's one of our most elite level defenders as well as what she brings to the table on the offensive end. But I've said this, uh, you know, the best of the best, they elevate everybody around them. And so for Diamond having these practices to get back um, through finals and now coming back after Christmas, um, our team is, you know, the, it's some of the best practices we've had all year and a direct correlation of her impact as well as, you know, she just instills and exudes confidence in everybody else on the, out on the floor with her. I say this um, somewhat jokingly because I always say the same thing to you every season. I'm waiting for you to be the first team to average 100 points. <laughs> now, I give you a, a, uh, I'll give you a little um, slide on the non-conference because you weren't healthy, but now as it going to conference play, and I know it gets – I know conference play is tougher. I mean, it sounds like a ridiculous question because the game does shrink, you know, possession shrink, the court shrinks. It just gets harder in conference play because you're so familiar. But how cool would that be if you could average 90 in conference play, <laughs> 95 in conference play? I mean, like, is that crazy? You know, you and I would love that. You know, we, <laughs> you know, I love it. Offense, sharing the basketball, you know, you know, having five or six players and double figures. Um, but, you know, I think, you know, when you play fast, when you play the right way, I mean, you're going to put yourself in positions to be successful, but then, you know, the other team has a lot to do with it as well. You know, if they're taking um, the air out of the ball and limiting your position possessions, every game isn't going to flow the same way. One of the things that you have evolved into as we've watched your team, we know that you're, you see the game through an offensive lens, but you also have changed the way you've played defensively, which actually has given you a chance to have more possession so that you can play at that faster rate and score more because you, that's where your skill set is, right? Um, how did you come about making the change to playing, you know, more pressure defense and more three-quarter court and, you know, just doing some things a little differently than just sitting back in a zone? Yeah. Um, I think, you know, that's where you grow and evolve as a coach, um, you know, the, you know, I've always loved offense and, and being able to put the players in position to be successful. I think you have to be able to score the basketball, but um, on the other end of the floor, you know, it's been fun just to kind of grow and learn your own style of what you like and what kind of fits, you know, both ends of the floor for you. So um, I've really enjoyed that, you know, whether it be, you know, in the half court and the full court, and that's just, you know, continuing to evolve. I think, you know, as a coach, like you should never stop learning and growing. I mean, the minute you do that, um, you know, your, your time has passed you by. And so I think that's the, the biggest thing is, you know, every off season, I want to tweak something, whether it's been offensively, defensively, out of bounds, different things, you know, just working to grow to, to, to improve and get better. I get this asked of me a lot because I get a chance to work on the men's and the women's side. So a lot of times I'll have coaches ask me like, who on the men's side do you like to watch? And I have a couple of guys that I, I think are besides the obvious of, you know, watching Tony Bennett's defense at Virginia or watching Villanova's offense at, at you know, with Jay Wright, you know, those are easy. But when you, when you dive a little deeper, like who, who's sort of your go-to Brenda, like if you, without giving up your secrets, if you can, you know, like who's somebody that you like to watch or that you might pick up the phone and call and say, Hey, I, I love what you're doing. How can I implement that with my system? Yeah. Um, you know, obviously I think on the women's side, you know, to have that mentorship has always been great. Um, you know, on the men's side, I mean, you know, we, 
you know, our defense came about with the conversation that I had had with Chris Beard, uh, you know, through our Under Armour connection and our Under Armour family. So um, without a doubt, when he was at Texas Tech and now at Texas, I mean, we're pulling up, uh, you know, his film and using it when we need to, you know, in comparison to where we're at all the time. I mean, that's the the first go-to that I love being able to watch. And then, you know, you love watching successful teams. I mean, when um, Gonzaga's on, you know, just a, a week ago, you know, I, w- I was somewhere and was able to watch them, you know, Mark Few and, um, you know, Baylor and, you know, being able to see, you know, the, the different men's games when they're out there. And of course, Maryland, when, whenever our, our men's team is playing, but, um, you know, I, I think anytime a game is on, you're trying to see what you can steal and what you can learn from, from whoever's on the television set when you have that time. So most years like this year, you're picked to win the big 10. And there's every once in a while, maybe you're picked second. Okay. So, you know, every year you've got that target. And now that we're heading into January, um, how do you manage that level of confidence and that fine line with your kids where they don't get overinflated by the outside noise of expectation you're supposed to win and having your team dialed in so that you can execute and play the way you want to play? Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously the standard is always set for us where we want to play and what that level and what it looks like. So we control that day to day. And then I think we do a really good job of keeping us humble and grounded. So, you know, if we feel like we do, we're, we're starting to feel ourselves, we're really going to humble ourselves through some film. And that could even be after a win. Uh, we'll be able to find those things. Um, so I think it's just knowing where your team's at, whether they need to be built up or, um, grounded, you know, um, staying humble and hungry. But um, I think when, when when your standard has kind of been set, you know, your culture kind of feeds off of each other, you know, w- with, you know, the direction you're headed. The film don't lie. That is the truth, <laughs> isn't it? <laughs> it does not. <laughs> you know what? Um, I, I love that. I mean, I, I, I watch a lot of film myself because I think that's the best way to to learn tendencies about teams. Now we have all these other resources now available to us like Synergy and Her Hoop Stats. And, um, you know, on the men's side, there's Ken Palm. So there's, there's lots of analytical stuff out there. How much are you diving into the analytics to help make decisions about what you want to do versus using the analytics to validate what you're doing? Because I know you're very much a feel coach, like at the end of the game, you're not always in the analytics, but you have great feel for your team because of your relationships. What, where's the balance there? Um, I, yeah, I definitely think by feel, but I also validate what I'm feeling through those analytics, if that makes sense. And, you know, I have a great staff, support staff, my advanced scout, you know, they're the ones that do the deep dive into all of that. Um, and then really, you know, collectively as, as a team, you know, where we think, you know, things can help us or hurt us, you know, when, when we look into it, but at the end of the day, I've got to be able to coach, you know, live, you know, knowing where, where my gut and my instincts are for, for our team at that time. Every year has a different sort of narrative to it, right? I mean, you have an identity and a culture, and sometimes I think that is an overused cliche in the game. Everyone talks about identity and culture, but you don't always know exactly what that means. For you, though, you have an identity and culture. We know Maryland basketball. You've, we can put a stamp on it. We know exactly what it is. 
But when you're setting the narrative for the next year, and particularly with the, with the narrative moving into conference play right now, what is the messaging to your team so that when your fans watch you play, they know that's us, that's it. What, what does it look like? What's that narrative? Um, I mean, you know, they, I mean, we always say here when, when you're looking at us from a basketball end, I mean, it's defend, rebound and run. So, um, you know, when we're getting stops on the defensive end and being able to get all over the glass and being able to, to get out in our transition, um, you know, that's when you see us at our highest level. And, you know, I think when you look at this year's team, really the last two years, um, the thing that separates this team is their assisted turnover ratio, their unselfishness. And so when you see us, like the ball is moving, we're sharing it. Um, we're really hard to guard on the offensive end. I mean, that's, that's when we're playing some of our best basketball. So I've been working on this concept across uh, some of my prep. So I want to run it by you to see what you think about it. Um, the, the assisted basket number to me is a big number, like teams that have a really good assisted basket ratio, which means that you have an assist for baskets. And if your percentage is over 55, some teams are closer to 60, but over, I'd say 55 sounds like it's a pretty good number. I feel like there's a direct correlation between your assisted basket number and your offensive rebounding percentage. Meaning that you're moving the ball, you're taking the shots, everybody's locked in, they know what shots are supposed to be taken, it allows you to get to the glass, and then you don't give up anything in transition defense. You do, I, I mean, I'm not trying to be a professor or trying to recreate some sort of analytic here, but I, that's a deeper thought process that I'm looking at teams through that lens right now, because I do care about offense, and I care about the product, right, our product being good. Right. What, right. what do you think about that kind of conversation? I, I have never thought of it in, in that way, but I love it. I think it makes sense. You know, I think when you talk about a team and being on the, the, the same page together, um, I think there's, there would have to be a direct correlation. So now you're, you're making me aware for my own team, which I appreciate. Um, well, I'm going to take a deeper dive a before, before I have, uh, because Beth Mowens and I have um, the ESPN two game on January 2nd which is Maryland at Indiana. So we're looking forward to it. So I'm going to take a little look at that and see if uh, there's something there. Um, and if it is, I'll put it out on the Twitter world. So uh, everybody can, can pay attention. Can't because wait. you got, you know, Indiana is very similar too. They are a tough, grinded out, gritty. They are very well prepared and coached. Terry Morin has done a fantastic job. You're starting out conference play basically with two top 10 teams in the league going at it. Um, that's not necessarily something new for you but I mean how exciting is that to take your team on the road in that environment and and to be able to start off that way yeah um it is and I mean I can't say enough about what Terry has built there at Indiana and um you know I love seeing it I don't like going against it but um <laughs> just what she has created is something pretty special and with this team returning all five starters so um, it's going to be a battle. I mean, this is why you love to play. I mean, I, I love where our league is at. We have three teams in the top 10 right now and um, five in the top 25. And, you know, the, these are the kind of games. I mean, I'm glad we, we play home and away, right? We get to play each other on both um, each other's home court. I mean, these are two of the most experienced rosters out there. I mean, um, right after Christmas and, you know, um, you know, we can't wait to, to be able to get down there and, and play in this matchup. So I want to ask you um, a question about the business of basketball, uh, because I know 
you have great vision, you think about it. Um, I'm always thinking about it. Um, you know, in, inside the Big Ten, uh, you've got a lot of veteran coaches, you've got some great programs. And now it looks like the Big Ten office is starting to be a little bit more forward thinking about unifying and collecting your voice to make a bigger impact on the national stage. Um, where do you see your leadership inside the Big Ten and, and helping galvanize the coaches to move your league forward? Yeah. Um... You know, I, I think our, I'll say this, and you mentioned it, there's, there's so many talented um, women's basketball coaches in our league and that have even been there a lot longer than I have. Um, and I think what I love about where we're at and where the league is at is that um, we are unified and we're ready, you know, to, to share our voice, you know, with anything that, that really is important to us and, and that matters. And so, you know, just seeing the league take the steps that, you know, we kind of felt like they needed to make that they're doing. Um, and I think just whenever you can have a unified front, and I think quite honestly, I think COVID probably brought us even closer, you know, the amount of Zooms and the weekly calls that everyone had and what we were all going through was the same thing. Uh, we had to be very transparent. So I'm excited about what that looks like as we move forward, because we do have so many great experienced coaches that um, are excited to be able to lead and, and help any way possible for our sport. So now I want to shift a little bit to mother of three boys, mother of two boys. Okay. You yeah. know, in our conversations in the past, I call it free balling at our house, you know, like guys, well, we get home, throw your clothes on the washing machine, free ball it to the showers, right? That would be when they were younger, obviously not now, but, um, it's a, it's a different uh, vibe be, being the only woman in the house with a bunch of guys. And I just wanted to know, like, how's it work at your house? Like, how's <laughs> it going with your teenage boys? Um, well, it's funny you say that, the, the free balling part. Mine now, you know, like, you know, doors have to be closed. You know, they're almost going to be 14. And so they, they can't see mom any kind of direction. So it's very private. Um, but at the same point, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky because I feel like, you know, last year through um, COVID and then even now our relationship is so strong. So they still like love hanging out with me. If we can squeeze a movie in, we just went to Spider-Man, you know, during over the holidays, they still want to be around me, you know, when they want to squeeze me in around their friends. So um, it's still at an awesome, awesome age. I mean, I know some of that's going to change, but um, I do think it's healthy that our relationship has always been so strong and uh, just that, that connection. There's nothing better. I, I mean, I always say two things I say all the time. I haven't slept since 1995 and the only thing better than three boys would have been four. <laughs> but um, I agree with you hundred <laughs> percent. So Brenda, you, um, your boys are active um, athletes. They play sports. Um, when you go to the games, and you go and watch your kids play. What kind of parent are you in the stands? Um, you know, I am always there just to, to support and uh, be their biggest cheerleader. You know, I always, when they leave for a practice, I'll tell them, you know, be the most energetic player on the floor, you know, be coachable and be the most energetic. That, that's all I say to them when they leave. But, um, you know, it, it's, 
crazy right now, I would say, like just given schedules because through this pandemic and um, I got to see one football game of my son. And of course, as luck may have it this year, when I went uh, the second down, he was injured and sprained his ankle. And then the first game I was going to get to see my husband coach both of my boys in middle school, then they shut down the, the school with the outbreak of COVID, just numbers going up. So uh, th this year has not been great, <laughs> um, which, you know, hopefully for the future will, will be a little bit better. But I always want to just, you know, support. I know what it's like for the coaches going through. And, and ultimately, it's got to be their love and their passion for the game, not mine, um, with it, whatever they want to do. That's exactly the way I feel about it. I just ask them to have fun and work hard yeah. and, and please make good choices. That is pretty much, um, and, and it gets, gets back to really, you know, what you're asking of your kids is really no different than you're asking of your student athletes, you know, your team, your players is work hard, go to class and, and be a good citizen. It doesn't seem to be that hard, does it? No, absolutely. Um, you know, sometimes it's these adults, though, that get in the way, right? It's just, uh, yeah. you know, you don't want to take away that that spirit and that love and that passion for the game and, you know, or whatever that may be, what, whatever your child is into is just trying to foster that, that passion for them. I've heard a lot of coaches talk about this in the past. And of course, we've been in the gym for so long. We've seen parents at both ends of the spectrum, right? So those like me that sit there quietly and say nothing and then others that are you know going crazy about put my kid in shoot the ball you know hey ref, yelling at the refs you know whatever that whatever happens I guess I, I want to um, know from you like how true is it when you go into gym to recruit a kid that you are actually recruiting the parents and watching them as well yeah it's um you know it's hundred percent. I mean, I, I can give you two incidences. My boys this year, we reversed it. Uh, they got their first jobs as teenagers and were soccer referees and uh, were able to, to be on the other side of that and to listen to the stories from my husband. Um, there was a situation with one of my sons that went on through the entire game with the parents uh, yelling at him and, and the adult referee that was in there um, and even all the way out to their cars you know, um, into the parking lot. And this was like eight and under soccer, you know, where these kids were like just starting the game through the parents. And um, it is, you know, I mean, you know, when you get to the college level and you can hand select, I mean, without a doubt, um, there's been instances where we will not recruit a kid um, based off of um, once you get do the further dive of you know, this isn't a good fit for this kid to stay close to home because of the parent situation or um, they're going to be a problem. And, you know, between that changing three or four high school AAU teams is absolutely a red flag. And um, I get it when there's, you know, and you can explain them and, and talk through a change or, you know, different things that happen. But when you start to see the red flags of three or four, five AAU high school teams, um, it's, it sends a red flag to, to the coaches that are recruiting. I just want to tell you one incident I had at a soccer event where my son was playing, uh, and this was just a simple administrative thing that uh, before certain tournaments, the soccer mom that was in charge would come around with a clipboard and um, it had a piece of paper that we were all supposed to sign as parents saying we would not yell at the referees during the game. And so I'm like, <laughs> 
I refuse to sign that. I am insulted that I would even be asked to sign that piece of paper. So all the other parents are complying. And, you know, of course, my husband's going, just sign it. And I'm like, no, I'm not signing it. Because I, I'm, I will be in control of my own emotions. I don't need to sign a petition saying I'm not going to yell at the ref. Of course, I'm not going to yell at the ref. Right. You know, so it, it's just where we are, I guess, sometimes in society. I don't know. It's, it's crazy. Sad, it's crazy. That's where we're at. Yeah. yeah. It's, I mean, it was never like that growing up. You, you played for the love of the game. No, you did. You played and you play with your teammates and you play with your teammates because those are your friends and you moved from one sport to another. And sometimes you picked up some other teammates that maybe you didn't play basketball that might have played softball or tennis or volleyball or whatever. But you you were basically with a, a good group of kids that all wanted to play and have fun. That's the way I remember going through high school and through all my teammates. That was it was it was pure love of the game. Yep. A hundred percent. Couldn't agree more. Okay. So um, no more X and O strategy, no more uh, goofing around. Let's get right to it about your New Year's resolution. I hate this question. I hate when I get asked it, but I'm going to ask you, and then we're going to be done. My New Year's resolution. <laughs> um, I, I would say between my team and myself, just to stay healthy, healthy and, you know, um, but to be quite honest, I haven't put a lot of thought into it until today when December 31st rolled around on the calendar. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I'm excited for, uh, 2022. It's going to be a great year. Well, we're excited about you being a part of nothing but net Brenda. Thank you so much for lending your time. A lot of people consider today to be a holiday and a non-working day, but I know that on December 31st, you're working and you're hard at it in your office, getting ready to launch the big 10 season. So we wish you well. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Always great to be with you, Debbie. Thank you.